but the first thing it says in my notes is, I talked a few weeks ago about the difficulty in communication. <laughs> so, God has been working all the way long through the music and everything else, things that, that, that just would make my mind go, wow, you know, I, I didn't, I had no plan in that. But God works Amen. in mysterious ways. And I did talk a few weeks ago about some difficulty in communication. And, you know, when you're communicating, all sorts of things can go wrong, right? Um, one of the big things in, in our household with our children is you can hear only part of something and think you know what was said. And so you build this, this big thing around it, right? You, you build this entire story about, well, so-and-so said this, so it must have been this. And we go from there. So it's like, you know, my kids, whew, we have that. Now I'll say something and they'll hear one part and then we'll just begin telling all of it. You know, sometimes communication online or in text, you miss the inflection. You miss what was being said. You miss, you miss the little, the wink, nudge, nudge, all that good stuff. Because sometimes I don't know what the emojis mean. I mean, there are 5,000 emojis. And so... You know, I, I post something and I go, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to wait, wait, nudge, nudge anyway. We don't know what those things. Sometimes the communication, there's a gap there. And sometimes there are generation gaps in communication. Uh, in case you didn't know this, Carrie and I are from different generations. We are, by a few years, I am technically Generation X, I guess, and then she is that next generation, whatever they call it, because I can't think of the names. But... One of our first big arguments, I know, by the time we die, y'all are going to know more about Monica Carey's marriage than you know about your own, but one of our first big arguments was over a word. I'm, I'm pretty laid back, honestly, unless I really have an opinion on something. I just kind of go, you know, I don't care what we do. Carrie, though, would have this tendency early in our marriage to ask questions about things that I really didn't have an opinion on. Do you think we should have hamburgers or chicken? What color should we paint the room? Blue or purple? Should I buy this dress or that dress? What color should I use in my hair? Okay, I have an opinion on the color of her hair, but she doesn't like my opinion. So if you don't like my opinion, the rest of it doesn't matter anyway. So don't, you know, don't ask me about it. But every time... I would answer in the same way. I would say, whatever you want. Whatever you think. Whatever you decide is fine. And of course, that wasn't enough. Um, I'm very exact sometimes in my language. And I like words to mean what words mean. So, when I would say the word whatever, I literally meant what. Ever. That, that, and it was whatever you decided. Any choice that you make is fine. But Carrie's from a different generation. She's from what I call, and this isn't, I don't mean this the way it sounds, the clueless generation. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean that she's clueless or the generation is clueless, but there is that movie in the 90s, Clueless. And that movie really describes an entire generation. I mean, it may be way over the top, but at the same time, you see things in there and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. And, and so in the movie, <coughs> they always would say, 
whatever. So when I was saying whatever you think, Carrie was hearing whatever. Whatever you want, whatever. That's what she was hearing every time. And so we would go back and forth on this. And as I thought about and prayed over this sermon this week, I thought about that story in our marriage a lot, both because of the word and because of the negativity associated with the word for care. We live in a world that is full of negativity, that leads with negativity. You know, when I, when I was on the junior high newspaper, you know, we learned that in, in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads, right? We, we lead with negativity. And after a while, that negativity begins to bleed over into us and begins to color how we see and do things. Suddenly, where one sees hope, we're seeing trouble. Where one sees opportunity, we begin to see mountains. And it shouldn't be that way with believers. But we live in a fallen world, and sometimes the struggle is real. So, this morning, we come to a sermon titled, Whatever. Um, as we seek to examine how to overcome negativity in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is beginning to wrap up his letter to the Philippians here. It was one of his favorite churches. I mean, this was his favorite church, if you really read his letters. This was the one he always poured praise upon. And so, there in Philippians 4, 2 through 9, we find the secret to being positive people. And there it says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel on my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there be any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel of the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people say. Amen. You know, Philippians 4 is such a great chapter. There's so much truth contained here. And down further is where we get to that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's in the midst of the same thing. Paul is, is going through all of these issues. But he comes to the end of this letter, writing to this beloved church, and, and he knows in this church there is some disagreement. They were probably Baptists. <laughs> you know, there was some disagreement going on. There were some things being said, and there were two ladies there who were kind of upset with each other. They were cross. And so he has written this letter partially as a way to get them to get along. And what we find here that Paul begins by saying is that believers must make a conscious choice to overcome negativity. Everything. 
everything Paul says in this passage points to deciding about the attitude that you'll have. That's what he says. Urge Euodia and Syntyche to please agree in the Lord. You ever been in the middle of a church fight? Paul, from far away, he was probably smart. From prison, he's writing a letter and says, urge them to get along. Put it all aside. To no longer hold what they want is dear and get along, agree in the Lord. It was a decision he wanted them to make. It wasn't something that he says. He didn't say, I'm going to pray that God makes them do this. He said, urge them to make this decision. Urge them to do what they need to do. And then he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't say, I'm going to pray that you rejoice. He says, rejoice. Do it. Decide that you're going to rejoice in the Lord. Decide that you're going to do that. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Whew, that's a hard one. But he says, choose to do that. Make that decision. It's a conscious choice. Something that you have to do. In everything, pray. You're supposed to pray. Over everything. Every little thing. Every jot and tittle. Everything you pray. All of these things, we have to do in order to be positive. A positive attitude is a decision we make rather than just a simple gift from God. We, we have this tendency to believe for some reason that when we become a Christian, everything will just look different and be hunky-dory and we'll be fine, but we still live in a world that is falling apart, that just looks, oh my goodness, what in the world? What's going on here? We, we see the things around us and we, and we don't know how to handle it. We have this tendency to think we're just going to be happy naturally, but Paul is clear, it takes a decision. Dare I say it takes a little work to be a positive believer. Because we've all seen negative believers, right? Where we see everything as, oh, oh. You know, it's the difference between good morning, Lord, and oh, Lord, it's morning. It's a simple difference, but it's there. Paul says it's a conscious choice. And he also says to overcome negativity, we have to have the correct frame of mind. You have to. Yeah, the correct frame of mind. You're never going to be positive people if we're thinking about trashy things. We're not going to be positive if our mind is always on the negative. If everything we think about is negative, if everything we think about has, has something that brings us down, we're not going to be positive people. Because it's much easier to be pulled down than it is to be pulled up. It's much easier to find ourselves falling than it is to find ourselves climbing up. If we spend all day watching the news, we're going to get down. That means whether you watch it on TV, whether you watch it on the internet, however you watch the news. If, you, if all you do is watch the news, woo, you're going to be negative. Because all they show is negativity. They don't show the good stuff. The good stuff is buried at the bottom. And we get, we get so caught up in reading the big headline that we forget about the small headline. We figure about the good things at the bottom. We, how many of us are desensitized to death and blood and gold? We're just desensitized. It wasn't that way before the Vietnam War, right? Because we didn't show those things on TV. We didn't see those things. And then it became commonplace. We began seeing these things. We began seeing these horrific images on TV. And they ingrain themselves in our minds and we become desensitized the more we see it. We become what we fill our minds with. 
our passion will show in, in what we do. The theologian Scott Hahn says, if we do not fill our mind with prayer, it will fill itself with anxieties, worries, temptations, resentments, and unwelcome memories. Believers must have the correct frame of mind if we're going to overcome negativity. And Paul goes on here to tell us what to fill our minds with. That's where the whatever comes in. He tells us what to fill our minds with. So to overcome negativity, believers should focus on whatever things have the character of truth. Alethes, or alethes, depends on which Greek school you go to. It means true, loving the truth, speaking the truth, being truthful. John 19.35, Jesus says, And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. It refers to something which is not a lie, nor deceptive. It refers to an absolute truth. Now there are some in this world who will tell you that there is no such thing as an absolute truth. That only, only the truth that I know can be real truth. That's, that's what they say. That is absolutely false. The truth of the matter is, <laughs> if I throw this up, absolute truth says gravity is going to pull it back down. Unless something else acts upon it, gravity will take hold. That's the absolute truth. There is no way around that. That's an absolute truth that we will know each and every time. If I plant a garden or I plant crops and there is no water, the crops are going to die. That's an absolute truth. There's no way around it. Unless water is put on them somehow, they will die. The Bible is absolute truth. Jesus himself says he is absolute truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus calls himself the true bread of life as opposed to other breads. The first manna was not the true bread. He said, but I am the true bread. Things that are true and not deceiving, that have a good witness. Now, a vital aspect of thinking whatever is true means reading, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God. The remaining seven categories of virtuous thought are all based in the truth of God's Word. That's where you're going to find that truth. And so if we don't know God's Word, we can't know how to do the rest of it. So when a thought comes racing into your mind or slithers into your mind, however you want to look at it, begin by testing it by asking, is it truth? Is it truthful? Is it the truth? Something to note here is that these qualities build on each other. So, it may be true, but is it the next thing? Whatever things are worthy of reverence. Sinmo. It's the Greek word. Sinno. August, august, venerable, reverent, to be venerated for character, to be honorable. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word with a noble and good heart and keep it and bear fruit with patience. Things that are honorable, that have a noble character. Those who, in the, in the sower parable, who had a good and noble heart, those are the ones who took the word and it multiplied. There are many things that are not respectable and Christians should not think on these things. Now, this doesn't mean that we hide our heads in the sand and avoid what's unpleasant and displeasing, but it does mean that we don't focus our attention on dishonorable things. We don't permit them to control our thoughts. 
does that to which you're giving your attention have honest value? That's the question. Does it have honest value? Does it have the dignity of holiness about it? That's a hard one, right? <laughs> there are things that we want to give our attention to that may be true, that may not have the dignity of holiness. That may not be things that we need to focus on and, and see. Whatever things are, are, are worthy of reverence. Because I'm saying, whatever things are righteous, this was the hardest Greek word for me to say, so I'm going to try it anyway. And y'all won't know the difference. So, um, the chaos in it, that's the Greek word for righteous. It literally means observing the divine laws, used of him whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly committed to the will of God, and who therefore needs no rectification in the heart of life, approved of or acceptable to God. That's righteous. So whatever things are righteous, it's meaning holds this idea of that which does not turn to the right or the left. That which stays on the straight and narrow. As Johnny Cash would say, the ones that walk the line. That's, that's who it is. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no one is justified by the law on the side of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Just there are those who are righteous. So whatever things are morally correct, walking in faith, does that which you are giving your mind to conform to the holiness of God? Is it intrinsically righteous or is it tainted and shaped? And that's righteous as defined by God, not as defined by us, not as defined by man. Righteous as defined by God. Whatever things he goes on to say are pure, hagna, <laughs> exciting reverence, pure from carnality. Chaste, modest, pure from every fault, immaculate, clean. There are a lot of things in this world that are not pure. Is that which is free from defilement, stainless, that which will not contaminate, that which is morally and inwardly pure. The word refers to ceremonial purity, but also to the moral purity that is pictured by the ceremony. This idea of Completely washed clean. This connotation of exciting reverence. The verb form is whatever makes you pure. Whatever makes you pure. The noun form is this executed moral godliness. Will it define you? Will it defile me? Is it intrinsically pure? Will it corrupt my thinking if I give attention to it? Will it stand the scrutiny of God? Whatever things are lovely. Now, this this isn't the old big band song, isn't she lovely? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about lovely in that way. Lovely here is pros file, basically. Acceptable and pleasing towards someone else. That which is pleasing to be around. It must be in line with these other things, though. So Prosphile is a relationship that comes from pros toward and file, friend. It refers to the conduct that is dear to someone. Its confidence is pleasing in its motive and action towards others. Lovely has this idea of that which is admirable or agreeable to behold or consider. Here's, here's my hint that hurts. So I, I have hint that hurts. Because as I was writing this, I was like, oh, I don't want to say this. He said, you're going to say it. If what you are thinking or sharing or posting is something that makes you go, ha ha, or I knew it, or I'll show them, or I told you so. It's not love. 
Y'all love me. If we are doing things just to prove a point, just to make someone else look wrong or bad, what's going on with us? We're finding ourselves in a situation where we're not being a welcome, lovely advance towards someone else. That's hard in this day and age. Because people are always saying things or doing things against each other, right? That's what happens. And so we're called here to do things that are lovely. Will this thing that I am giving my mind to produce concord and rest and peace? Or will giving attention to this thing produce strife either within me or between me and another brother? If so, we cast it aside. We don't worry about it anymore. Whatever things are attractive, again, this isn't a. Whew, whew, it's not that. It's not. Whew, whew, it's not cat calling. It's euphemia of good report. Refers to that which is well spoken of, praiseworthy, laudable, highly regarded, or well thought of. It is something or someone that deservedly enjoys a good reputation. In third, 3 John 1.12, he uses this word speaking about Demetrius. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and know that his testimony is true. The idea behind good report is that the verses of good testimony, he said it's worthy to be noticed and needed. Are we concentrating on the good things we see in others? Or are we dwelling on their faults and shortcomings? Carrie's grandma, Gammy, uh, didn't get to be around her enough after our, after our marriage. We saw her very infrequently, but anytime anybody would come to her with a story about somebody else, she would stop. Is that a good report? Every time. Is that a good report? Is what you're fixing to tell me going to try to cause strife between me and the person around me? Or within myself, is this a good report? Is this something that you should be sharing? Are we concentrating on the good things or are we concentrating on the bad things? No Christian can afford to waste mind power these days on thoughts that tear him down or that would tear down others if these thoughts were shared. The believer has to major on the high and noble thoughts, especially as you're building the pure milk of God's Word and not on the base thoughts of a corrupt world. Now, he moves on and he changes the sentence structure a little bit. He says, if. If there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise. These last two qualities are more generic qualities. They serve to sum up the preceding qualities. If there be excellence or a fit object of praise, arete, a virtuous course of thought, a feeling of action, virtue, moral goodness. Arete is a term denoting Excellence or merit within a social context. It means something which is worthy of being commended. The word can describe the act of expressing admiration, approval, praise, recognition. In the present context, a panos describes a thing that is praiseworthy or something that deserves to be praised. A rete never means something that's hidden. It's never virtue that's hidden. It's virtue that's, that's exposed. It's virtue that's shared. It's virtue that's given. Moral excellence that derives from heeding and following the commandments of God. It's interesting to note that this is the same word used in Luke 8 when Jesus is walking through the crowd and the one comes up and touches his robe. And it says there, somebody touched me because I felt power going out. That word there for power that they use is arete. 
I felt moral goodness going out. I felt this leaving me. This idea here that the moral virtue of Christ almost holding a hint of some kind of imputation because he was moral, that morality left, and that morality healed this woman. It's released. It's the cause of the healing. And so there he is, this picture, this praise is the action of adoration and commendation. So if it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise, those are the things we look for. They're the, they're the qualifiers. Everything else may be true, but is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? There are sinful things in this world that are true. They're just all. But they're not excellent. And they're not worthy of praise. Biblical this is this is the biblical standard of excellence and worthy of praise. I feel we need to define that sometimes, right? This, this isn't Bill and Ted's excellence. I hope, hope most of us get that joke. Some of us don't like it. This isn't their excellence. This is the excellence of God. This isn't the praise of man, because men will praise you for lots of things. But this is God's version of what is praiseworthy, not man's version. The world will praise you for things that, that God would say that is a sin. He said these things make the subject a careful reflection. These things. Careful reflection. Logio zoma. To reckon. To count. How many of us in here are math people? Math. I like math because math doesn't lie. Numbers are numbers. Two plus two is always four. If somebody tells me two plus two is five, they don't understand math. Here, this word is about calculating. It's about computing. I do my own taxes. They're complicated. And it takes me a while, and Carrie hates it. Because I'll go over it once by myself. And then I'll call her in to go over it the second time. And then two weeks later, we'll go over it a third time together. Because I'm constantly going over it. That's the picture here. Think on these things. Spend time with these things. Make sure these things are the things that you were looking for. To take these things into account. Make count of these. Reckon these inwardly. Count up. Weigh the reasons. Deliberate. By reckoning up all the reasons to gather to infer. That's the word. It's a word which connotes a long thought process and careful deliberation. It means we sit down and we go, hmm. And we think on those things. We count up those things. So often we spend our time chasing other things, right? We chase all these things in the world looking for these things. And God says, think on these things. Look at these things. We have to ask ourselves, does this thought line up with God's truth? Is it suggesting I do something that's honorable, that's right, that's pure? If this thought becomes action, will the outcome be lovely and contribute to excellence in my life? Will other believers approve of this action? Is it something for which I can praise God? These are the questions we have to ask. You're not responsible for the way others think. You are responsible for the way you think. 
can't make somebody else think something. Okay, I can try. Carrie swears I can't. I don't know if you've been on Facebook lately. I've been posting little things and I did a would you rather the other day. And I tried to point out the fact that I posted my answer later than other people, so they weren't following me, but she doesn't believe me. She thinks I have somehow socketly tuned in and told everybody to agree with me. So, I can't make people think things, right? You can't make people think things. You're not responsible, you're responsible for their thoughts, but you have a responsibility for your thoughts. You might feel negative one day, but you know what? Take that thought captive. I sat there in all of this morning as we sang these songs. And we started out talking about the manna. And Jesus said he's the true man. And then we talked about telling the devil to get out. His time is up. Woo! Man, we have the responsibility for our thoughts. When the devil comes in, we say, hey, devil, get out. It's not like your time anymore. We don't think about these things. We think about the things of God. Each of these preceding categories are about a personal choice. But our choices matter. You can choose a thought program that will yield a Christian positive mind like Paul claims here. Or we can accept the input of the godless world, which will yield a mind like Lot, who felt his righteous soul tormented day after day. That's a quote from Scripture. Can you imagine being Lot, the righteous man in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah? And he was just tormented day in and day out because of the things that were going on. He was trying to do the things Paul's talking about here. He was trying to focus on God. But the world around him wanted to drag him down. Where are your thoughts today? It's so easy to be negative, right? Every time we start to get positive, somebody says something else that makes us want to go. Remember when I popped the balloon the other day? That's what happens. Get that balloon blown up and it's so pretty and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. That's what the world wants to do to us over and over and over again. Here we go, here we go, here we go. It's good, it's good. Oh, everything's going good. Pop. What wants to run on our parade? Wants to tell us we're not good enough. We're not big enough. We're not cool enough. I might not be cool enough. I'm burning up, but... Oh. Sorry, it's a generational thing again. Okay. Must have been the delivery there or something. I don't The world wants to tell us all sorts of things. But God wants to tell us we're loved. God wants to tell us He's made us worthy. God wants to tell us nothing is impossible with Him. God wants to tell us, quit focusing on the world because He has overcome the world. Maybe this morning you have just been drowning in a sea of negativity. It's time to say, devil, get out. This is no longer your turn. It's no longer your territory. I am taking this territory back. It is mine. Get out. Maybe this morning you have been 
Struggle with people around you who are negative. Pray for them. Speak goodness into their lives. This morning I shared a verse on Facebook that said, kind words are like honey and they're good for the soul. Speak kindness to people. It doesn't cost you a dime to be kind. But it could change their life. Did you know that we have a higher suicide rate now than we've ever had in the history of our country? Want to know why? We're mean. I, I'm just being honest. We're mean. We're not building people up. We're tearing people down. And we can only be torn down so far before we just think it's enough. Our job as believers is to build people up. Is to speak goodness into their life. Because you never know what they may be going through. You know how hard it is to go to a restaurant right now? Ain't nobody got enough staff. And you walk in and you feel like they're not taking good care of me. But that person may be taking care of 17 different families. And they're one person. Are you speaking kindness into their life? Are you giving goodness into their life? Are you being a blessing? Because it's easy to focus on the negative and say, man, I can't believe how long it's taken to get my meal. But guess what? You can take a meal. You have the right to go and, and eat somewhere. You have the right and, and the means to go and, and share a meal. Some people don't have that. And some people have lost a loved one this year. And they're never going to have that chance again to sit down and eat with them. I'm going to say this just as harsh. If you're griping because the service is too slow, shut up! Thank God that you have the ability to come together with your family and love on them and eat with them. That's where we're at. We don't have to be negative. We don't have to let the world affect us. We can say, you know what? I'm going to love on people because God loves on me. Mm. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to, to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. You've never known the one who can take your life from the valley and put you on the mountain. You've never known the one who can take your life from, from barely keeping your head above water and putting you in the boat. Now's the time. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to, to cleanse you of your sin. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray for me? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessing.